Good morning and a happy Sabbath. Um, let's start class with prayer this morning. Father God, I just ask that you would guide our discussion this morning, that you would lead us to a better understanding of your character, and that you would help us, that you would fill us with that character so that we might be lights to the world. In your name I pray, amen. amen. This morning we're looking at lesson, the day of the Lord, Zephaniah. Um, so before we get into the actual content of the lesson book, um, I thought we'd look at some of the context in Zephaniah. Um, so if you'd like to look at Second Chronicles, there are two places, uh, the end of Second Chronicles uh, 33 to 36, and there are Second Kings um, 21 through 25. Now we're not going to read all of that, but that's where some of this context is. Um, So do you know who Zephaniah was speaking to? Um, any ideas? To Judah. He was speaking to Judah. Um, what had already happened to the other ten tribes? Taken into Dispersed. They were taken into captivity. Um, so he's just speaking to Judah. Um, any idea who was king at the time? Josiah? Josiah? Josiah was, yes. Um, now, Josiah was um, the son of Ammon, who was the son of Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah. So he was the, was that the great-grandson? Um, all right. What were the conditions in Judah at the time? Idolatry. I'm sorry, what? Idolatry. Idolatry, Yes. Um, any ideas how the nation had gotten to that point? Um, had... Manasseh had led them. Yes. Yeah, he had. How? Exactly. Any? Uh, worshiping idols himself. Sacrificing mm-hmm. to Moloch. Yes. And his son he, was he the set, He had set up the temples for the, the, the pagan worship. Mm-hmm. You know, he had built the altars himself. Yeah. Or had them built. Yes. Yes. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, in Second uh, Chronicles 33, verse 9, it says that Manasseh led them so far into idolatry that they did more evil than the nations around them. Um, so, all right. Now, we don't know uh, approximately when, uh, during Josiah's reign, that Zephaniah was... Uh, giving his message. But what was uh, Josiah like? He was young. He was young, yes. And he seemed to be influenced by the good leaders around him early on, mm-hmm. later on when they died off. We think of good Josiah, but at the end of his life, he sort of went bad. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. But what was he doing during his reign? Or attempting to, anyway? Breaking down the idols. He was breaking down the idols. Um, he was uh, desecrating the sacred sites, the, the high places. Um, everything that was dedicated to false gods, he tried to get rid of. So would you say that he was a good king? Oh, yeah. Okay. Would you say that his reforms were successful? Not no. <laughs> no? What evidence do we have that it wasn't? 
the fact that God had to send Zephaniah <laughs> straighten them out. That's, that's, that's a good point, yeah. Um, do we have any other evidence? Do we know what happened after Josiah died? He was taken up to Judah eventually went into captivity as well. Mm-hmm. In the long term. Yes. That's evidence that the reforms <clears throat> didn't help in the long term. They may have they may have delayed that process a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, even Manasseh himself, after being imprisoned, uh, he repented and and tried to start changing, the, you know, slowing the tide uh, himself. But the, the damage that he had done early was, was already too great. Yeah. The snowball had already started rolling. It was too big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in Chronicles, I believe it's, and Kings, it says that they turned back to the, to the idols um, after Josiah. So what does this tell us about the condition of the hearts of the people in spite of the reform? The reform was external. Yeah. 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 It was an outward confirmation. Um, um, All right. So with all of this context in mind, um, let's look at Sunday's lesson. And uh, the first paragraph of Sunday's lesson starts with the focal point. If someone could read that. Focal point of Zephaniah's message is the, quote, day of the Lord. For biblical prophets, the day of the Lord refers to a specific period of time in which God intervenes in human affairs in order to both save and to judge. Most people in ancient Israel believed that on this day the Lord would save and exalt Israel while the enemy nations would be destroyed forever. To the great surprise of those who listened, the prophet declared the day of the Lord would be a day of doom even for God's people because they had sinned against him. Mm -hmm. right, so it says... The day of the Lord refers to a specific period of time in which God intervenes in human affairs in order both to save and to judge. Is this, um, in fact, what the biblical prophets say the day of the Lord is? Any ideas? In the other parts of Zephaniah, it says that God is going to destroy the whole world mm-hmm. and destroy everyone off of it and make an end to all humanity. So that doesn't sound like good news. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? Um, let's look at some other examples of uh, when prophets were speaking of the day of the Lord, and let's compare them. Uh, if someone could look up Isaiah uh, 2, verse 6, um, the whole section there talks about the day of the Lord, but we're just going to look at, at uh, verse 6. Uh, someone else, Ezekiel seven nineteen to 22. Um, and someone else, Joel two twenty eight and 31. And we'll start with those three and go on from there. Does anyone have Isaiah 2, 6? You have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines and clasp hands with pagans. Okay, so what are the Israelites doing here, obviously? Yeah, yeah. What action is God taking? Yeah, yeah. He's abandoning them um, because of what they've done. Um, You know, it talks about uh, later in the passage that on the day of the Lord, 
the idols will be removed. Um, all right, who has Ezekiel seven nineteen to 22? All right. Well, I did. Okay. <laughs> they will throw their silver into the streets, and their gold will be treated as a thing unclean. Their silver and gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. It will not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs, for it has caused them to stumble into sin. They took pride in their beautiful jewelry and used it to make their detestable idols. They made it into vile images, therefore I will make it a thing unclean for them. I will give their wealth as plunder to foreigners and as loot to the wicked of the earth, who will defile it. I will turn my face away from the people. The robbers will desecrate the place I treasure. They will enter it and will defile it. Through 22? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, so, again, what, what action is God taking in this passage on the day of the Lord? Abandonment. Abandonment. And why? They rejected him. They've rejected him. Okay. Um, uh, who has Joel 2, 28 and 31? That word, I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your sons and daughters will proclaim my message. Your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. At that time I will pour out my spirit even on servants, both men and women. I will give warnings of that day in the sky and on earth. There will be bloodshed, fire, and clouds of smoke. The sun will be darkened, the moon will turn as red as blood, before the great and terrible day the Lord comes. But all who ask the Lord for help will be saved, as the Lord has said. Some in Jerusalem will escape, those whom I chose will survive. Okay. So does this sound like the same kind of thing? Or is it different? Depends on what you're doing. Okay. If, if you're listening, mm-hmm. you hear God's spirit. If you're not listening, then nothing good's happening. You're, you're, you're reaping what you've sown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In both cases, you're reaping what you've sown. Yes. If you allow the transformation of character and have the heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, then you're reaping the results of that, which is which is restoration and salvation. Yeah. If you're not, then you're you're also reaping what you've sown. Yeah. Which is destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. I'm just curious. If we can flesh out that word a little bit more. Abandonment, because usually abandonment is almost always negative. And, you know, I know God knocks on the door, and if he has to leave or doesn't come in, he's not abandoning us, I think, in my understanding. He's just simply, it's our choice. He's going to honor our choice. And I heard it stated, well, in the final end, everyone gets what they want except God. Because God wanted Lucifer home. He wanted the third of the angels home. He wanted Jezebel and, you know, the Mm -hmm. members of this world. He wanted them to convert like Nebuchadnezzar. But he gives them, and, and the lost get what they want, the rights who they want, and only God doesn't get what he wants. That's a good point. Thank you. Um, this prophecy in Joel, is that just speaking about what was going to happen to the Israelites, or is it also foretelling the end? Okay. Um, all right, uh, there's a couple more. Um, Amos five eighteen and 20. <clears throat> Acts 2.20 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9. (coughs) 
Amos 5, 20. 18 and 20. Go ahead. How terrible it will be for you who long for the day of the Lord. What good will that day do you? For you, it will be a day of darkness and not of light. The day of the Lord will bring darkness and not light. It will be a day of gloom without any brightness. Mm-hmm. Now in this one, who is God talking to? Um. See, if you look at verse 24, um, he's, I think prior to that, he's, he's talking to people who have religious feasts and assemblies and are sacrificing to him. So these are his people, right? Um, verse 24, what does he want? To see justice. To see justice. And we discussed last week, what was justice? Doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, Acts two twenty. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. All right. So this is interesting. In a previous passage, it was the um, great and dreadful day, and in this one, Paul is quoting that passage, but he changes the word. Why? Because he knows what's going to happen after. Okay. He's looking at it in a different perspective. What perspective would that be? He knows God is ready for him to come. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, who has First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 9? <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters... About times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are our children of the light, children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us be like others who are asleep. Or I should say, let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So again, what's the attitude? What's the contrast in the attitude of the people? Um, the metaphor that's used here. Light and dark. Light and dark. So the difference between how we view the day of the Lord is where we stand, right? What we've chosen, lightness or darkness. Um, there are also... Uh, seems to be kind of two different, uh, two different types of references. There's the day of the Lord um, in the prophecies, meaning the coming abandonment, or as you said, the coming uh, honoring of their choices when God lets them go. Um, that happens again at the end of time, but it's also specifically when God comes um, 
and his presence is, is what causes uh, those who have chosen darkness to suffer in his light. All right. Um, so which do we have in Zephaniah? A little bit of both. At the end of the book is good news. Mm-hmm. During the first two chapters, it's pretty much doom and gloom. Doom and gloom, right, right. Um, let's look at uh, Zephaniah 1 through 3. Um, anybody volunteer to read that? Now, this is the clear word. Okay. Okay. The clear word. This is the message the Lord gave to Zephaniah. His ancestry goes back to King Hezekiah. The message was given in the days of Josiah, king of Judah. And the Lord said, I will sweep away everything in the land. I will sweep away men, animals, birds, and fish. I will bring the downfall of the wicked, and there will, be, there will only be hard heaps of verbal. I will cut off man from the face of the earth. Okay. So does this sound like um, the, the first type of reference where it's... Uh, coming destruction from outside the nation, or is this the end of time? End of time. Okay, what tells us that? Of the nations. I'm sorry, say again? It's God bringing the destruction, not of the nations. Okay. Um, what else tells us in this passage that it's not... It's all mankind. Yeah. Um, so we have to keep in mind that during... Through Zephaniah, there will be portions that are specifically the end of time and portions that are, you know, what's going on in Judah at that moment. Um, and that's what verse 4 says. It's, that's what's happening in Judah at that mm -hmm. moment. Yes, yes. Uh, and that actually is where we're going next. Um, Zephaniah verses uh, 4 through 9, and I'll go ahead and read those. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all who live in Jerusalem. I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal, the names of the pagan and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those clad in foreign clothes. On that day, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold, who fill the temple of their gods with violence and deceit. Um, so what is God saying here that he's going to remove? Uh, how exactly? He says, I'll destroy those who, know, who have turned away from me, who no longer come to him for guidance, mm -hmm. to worship false gods. Um. I think it's interesting that in verse 5, mm -hmm. even those who call on the, on the correct God, but who have the wrong idea about God, will be abandoned. Those who call on God, but who actually do it in the manner of the god Molech, mm -hmm. We're also included in those, etc. So it, it's it's not just that you have the wrong God; it's that you have the wrong what God is like. Okay. Those having a 
form of godliness, but denying his power. Like Paul speaks about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just a kind of a side note. Um, I looked up the word that's translated punish um, in verses 8 and 9. Um, it actually, uh, I wrote the reference down later in the notes, um, but it actually means number. Um, it's translated 110 times in the Old Testament as number. So we could say, on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will number the princes and the king's sons. Um, he's numbering all of those who um, have turned away from him, who have bowed down to these idols. Um, why does he mention the people in foreign clothes? Any ideas? Okay. Translation, it says he does it because by wearing those clothes, they show which God they worship. Okay. Um, as I was doing some research, it kind of mentioned they were wearing the clothes of the nations around them. Um, In some ways, the way you're building this up, it sounds like it's probably actually a form of treason. They're, they're trying to be who they're not, mm-hmm. and they're trying to abandon their heritage, and they're you know, teaching the other people new ways to mess with their lives. Right. They're not, they're not being true to who they are. And it's, it's one thing to be superior or whatever versus they were there to hopefully give light, give salt, and they were you know, just teaching new ways to mess up each other, their own lives and others. Okay. You know, God, God had chosen Israel to be a peculiar treasure to, mm-hmm. to reveal his character to the, uh, to the entire earth. And even in the Mosaic Law, he tells them you know, not to mix... Mix fabrics in their garments. You know, don't mix linen with cotton or something like that. And the light of me, I can't figure out why, but he had his reason, and maybe it was just so that everything about the children of Israel would make the the heathen mind it would jog something and say these these people are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's a there's probably a lot of symbolism between you know putting on the robe of Christ's righteousness here uh, in addition to. Um, you know, wearing foreign clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what was what was the purpose of Israel? To, you know? to, to, heal, to heal the whole world. Yeah. To heal Christ and to heal the whole world. Were they successful in it? No, they weren't. Yeah. Okay. So, um, verse 8, he says, um, I will punish all who avoid stepping on the threshold or number. Um, what do you think that's a reference to? Any ideas? Well, if it's anything like some of the pagan religions I've heard of, um, they would bury the bones of their ancestors under the threshold of their houses and show respect to their ancestors by not stepping on that threshold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes? I'm reading from the message version says, I will punish all who import pagan superstitions that turn holy places into hell holes, mm-hmm. which is interesting based on what we've learned in this class about the importing of pagan pagan customs thoughts and, and thoughts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, and yes, as I was as I was reading there were there were two potential things listed as, you know, these people who are avoiding the threshold. Uh, one was the suggestion that when Dagon um, when they brought the ark into the temple of Dagon, 
and they found it with pieces on the threshold. They avoided it from that point forward. They suggested that they might have adopted the superstitious, that, that habit of avoiding the threshold. Um, there's also a very interesting book, and there's a link to it in the notes, um, or will be when they're posted. Um, there's a, an author, I think he, he wrote in the 1800s, um, about the covenant of the threshold, which is what you were talking about, and how all of these customs, um, they actually often would have a dip in the threshold where they would sacrifice to their god and the blood would go there. And so to step on that would be, to, would be a horrendous offense to the person whose house you were entering. Um, so you would avoid that. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, would you say that in this passage, God is angered by the idol worship? Yes. Why? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, go ahead. It's also not giving a right representation of the one that they are supposedly representing, which is the true God. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, what happens to people when they worship a false God? I'm sorry. Become like they become like that false god. Um, do we have any, any evidence of that um, here in Zephaniah and some of the other prophecies? How they treated one another. Right, right. Um, so they were they were worshiping the the gods of the nations around them. Correct. What were those gods like? Some were pretty neat. I mean, the gods of the stars, the moon, etc. Uh-huh. I mean, more lofty than looking up at the sky, you know. Okay, but what was wrong? Well, for the distortion of, of astrology, you know, there were a lot of bad things happening in the sky, though. They weren't really nice to each other. There. And uh, I know there's some folks, Ron Malcolm doing a good presentation, can't meeting about, hey, the gospel stars actually tell... The, the constellations actually tell the gospel story, and, you know, but it had already been distorted then, and they were viewing the distorted story. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that it was uh, God's first book taken awry. Well, they were worshiping the cre- creation rather than the creator. Okay. And the simple thread of, of all the false gods is that they need appeasement. Mm-hmm. They need to be satisfied, appeased. Um, they need to have their anger mollified by human effort. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, the um, we have, uh, for example, um, the Ammonites uh, worshipped Molech, the fire god. They sacrificed their firstborn to this one. Um, again, appeasement. Um, the um, the Ammonites in particular, um, just as evidence of how they became like their god, um, when they asked for terms of a, of a treaty in 1 Samuel, um, he proposed going gouging out the right eye of each Israelite man. Um, they were known for, when they conquered territories, for having absolutely no mercy on the people who's, that they were invading. Um, 
And the same is true for the others that are mentioned, um, I think, in chapter 2. There's Philistia, Moab, and Abin, Cush, and Assyria. And all of them were known for their incredible cruelty. Um, so these are the, the gods that the Israelites had turned to. And as a result, they had become worse, even. Why do you think it, they say it's worse than the other nations? The, the gods that were worshipped by the people, whether it was creation or whatever, they attributed those same gods mm -hmm. to be representative of the true God of heaven. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they presented the truth so they thought mm -hmm. in a misapplied way, which made it far worse because they said, this is who we worship, the true God, and it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, they, they had twisted it. Yeah. Um, uh, yes? I think perhaps one reason why it was so much worse for the Israelites is because they had received so much light. Mm -hmm. They knew better, and they rejected it and went the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. and, and once you've known the truth and reject it, that, that's a lot worse than having never known the truth. That's a very good point. They amalgamated the religions. They put them, they kind of blended the truth with error, and that made it worse, like he was saying. Mm -hmm. But also Constantine did that in a more earlier to us age, uh, closer to us. He took Christianity and amalgamated it with paganism to try to make it more acceptable to, to the pagan group mm -hmm. and changed everything. And so it made it even worse. <clears throat> God says, I'd rather you be for me or against me. You know, I hate this. Amalgamation is kind of nothingness in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a... yeah. It seems like anyone who claims to be a God follower, especially anyone who is comfortable with being associated with the remnant, they should be the humblest people around. Amen. Because if you know you have the purest amount of water or grape juice, whatever, just knowing if they can distort any of that, it's going to be a more effective you know, poison for them a lot of times. Because people are seekers, they finally find that you're corrupted too. They're, they're prone to abandon things. So I think, you know, we should be so approachable and so comfortable being questioned and just so willing to reevaluate and make sure that what we have is really pure and, uh, you know, is accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Is there? Okay. Yeah, thank you for that comment. Um, based on what we know about how people become like the gods they worship, where would you say we are now? The same boat. The same boat. Yeah. Um, do you think we're moving faster towards being a peace-loving nation? Or the other direction? Mm -hmm. um, does this tell us anything about the gods we worship? Or God? I, I think that we're still modern-day Israel and we worship our own idols. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think might be those idols now? Materialism. Materialism, Materialism. things, cars. That they haven't changed. I mean, it's like, you know, basically. he's talking about jewelry, you know, melting jewelry into, mm -hmm. uh, into idols. These are all, all, they were all, jewelry was just a form of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 
Satan really hasn't changed his tactics since he deceived a third of the angels. He's just adapted it to humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a comment. The prestige, power, admire people who can kind of enforce their will on, on masses or on other people, who have that ability to, to make themselves known, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, who can kind of sit on the throne up high and tell the rest of us what to do. I mean, you know, we, we claim that we don't want royalty or something of that nature in this country, but we kind of do that with celebrities and with, with very wealthy people. And, you know, they, they become like our gods and we become like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the spirit of Satan in heaven. See, he wanted to be all the time. The biggest problems of our church is because we follow in the same sin, the steps of Israelites, and I call it the, the sin of presumptions. The Bible says there's way too many look okay, but the end is dead. Mm-hmm. That's what we are. Unless, like I said last week, unless we be loving one master, we can never go. We need to love one master through the week, not just because sometimes it's easy to say I'm Seventh-day Adventist, but what about all the other days? Mm-hmm. What about the rest of the week? We hook too much with TV and all of this kind of stuff and music. You know what? 14 years ago, I did some beautiful thing I did in my house. I cleaned my house. I was addicted to Elvis Presley music and, and Francis Natra. When I cleaned the garbage, now I'm loving Jesus only. Mm-hmm. I love one master. You're going to see miracles in your life. Thank you. Well said. Um, uh, speaking of the media, um, what God do they present? Mm-hmm. Well, self. Yeah. You know, everything for me, me, what I deserve, what I need, what I can get, what I can do, what I can accomplish. Mm-hmm. That they can fix it themselves. That somehow yeah. President Obama or whoever's in that office and many others can make this world okay. Yeah. But, but even beyond that, they present a God who whose government looks like the governments on earth. They present a God whose justice looks like human mm-hmm. justice. Yeah. They present a God who is unmerciful. Um, they present a God that says, love me or else I'll be forced by holiness to punish you until you do. That's, that's the God that the media presents. Mm-hmm. Bad things are an act of God. Tornadoes, yeah. floods, yeah. hurricanes. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't help but think of some of the movies I have watched, um, you know, where there's a, there's going to be a comment in the back. Um, you know, something bad happens and justice is retaliating and killing the bad people. So, you know, on the one hand, you have bad people killing people. And on the other hand, you have good people killing people. So... I have a comment from from one of our listeners. My computer is acting up, so this is a late comment. I'm listening to the class, and a thought has occurred to me. If anger actually damages our brains, and God is so filled with anger, and for as long as he's been that angry, what shape is his brain in? (laughs) That's an excellent question, but what is God's anger? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, there was there were comments and they were lost. God's anger is not like our anger. 
he, his anger is, I say, giving us up to, to our own way. That is. Well, what is he angry about? Sin. Sin. Why? What it does to us. Because of what it does to us. I'm sorry, say again. In the back. Oh. <laughs> I have an answer to that one. <laughs> what controls what? Does anger control the mind or does the anger, the anger, control the mind? And that comes from Dr. Two. It's an answer. It says, yeah. Okay. Um, Is there such a thing as righteous indignation? um, We're told in the Bible that we can be angry and, and sin not, so apparently... Anger is not a sin, um, but we can... It might be a kind of anger that helps the brain if you're angry about the right things. You know. Yeah. Yeah, as I think we heard last week, um, God's anger is directed at the disease. Um, he wants to eradicate the disease. He's not angry with us. He wants to heal us. Okay. In my understanding of Scripture... When this day of the Lord comes, Mm -hmm. his coming is always on behalf of those who are his children or who are his servants. So it's not like he's out to He is out to get us. He's coming back for us. Right. At the same time, it's not the same picture as what we would have when when we look in anger. Right. Thank you. Uh, back to the back again. I think this is a correction to that last statement. There must have been a type error. Uh, does anger control the mind or does the mind control the anger? Properly understood, our anger is not the same as God's anger. This is from two people. Right. 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 Thank you for that clarification. Um, uh, back to our uh, previous topic. Um, how do we evaluate the things that we see um, now? What's what's our standard? A loving God. A loving God. Do you think it would make a difference if we were to choose to be more careful about what goes into our brains? Absolutely. Okay. Um, would it bring us closer to God? Um, to watch the media's portrayal of of you know what justice is, or would it take us farther away? Um, it's kind of an interesting thought. Um, uh, let's uh, move on to Monday's lesson, um, and <clears throat> if someone could go ahead and read the first two paragraphs. Where are we? Monday. In Zephaniah 2, we see the prophet's call to repentance. Even though the destruction is imminent, there is still time to be sheltered from calamity, but only if a nation will repent. The wicked who refuse to repent will be consumed like chaff on the day of judgment. In Psalms 1, 4, the wicked are also likened to chaff, and in the end they perish. With the words, quote, seek the Lord, Zephaniah is encouraging those who humble themselves before God to hold firm in their faith. 
The prophet teaches that to seek the Lord is the same as seeking righteousness and humility. This attitude of repentance is essential in order to escape the coming judgment. Okay. What was the imminent destruction that Judah was being warned of? Being carried into captivity. The invasion of Babylon. Um, were the wicked consumed like chaff at that point? No. No. What happened? The wicked were the consumers. <clears throat> okay. Um, we'll come back to that comment in a minute. Just one minute. Um, were those who were faithful to God sheltered from this calamity? No. No, no they were not. What evidence do we have of that? Daniel. Yeah. Daniel and his three friends. Yes. That would definitely not seem to indicate that they were sheltered. Um, so this idea that turning to God at this point would save them from the coming judgment is correct or incorrect? Just because yes, they were taken are. into captivity doesn't mean they weren't still sheltered. That's a good point. Why? What, what, what would being sheltered look like? Well, they, they were the ones that were saved to go back to Jerusalem in the end after the 70 years. Being sheltered means having your character in harmony with with Christ. Mm -hmm. Whether you go to sleep, the sleep of death on the earth or not, that's what being sheltered means in this case. Okay. The fact that they were captured alive shows that they were sheltered by God. Mm -hmm. In fact, were they not told not to fight against them? That's you know, I, I think they were, yeah. And they were to go? Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, mean, I think we need to sort of broaden the word escape, because, you know, if, if this group, like, you're the good guys, we're the bad guys, and we all get captured, you know, but we're related to you guys, you know, you get to go captured because of our mess. If you care about us, you know, you know, you go salt, we go as the chaff, but maybe you'll convert us, whatever. But, you know, if it's our kids or our grandkids or our parents that are messed up or in, mm -hmm. into Moloch and whatever else, we're impacted. So even if they get captured, they go and we get to stay, we really don't escape. So I think the idea is we're all impacted. We start seeing other people like the way God sees them. Mm -hmm. And we're honored to be, you know, maybe going to Babylon and, and maybe not going to be fathering kids or something, if, you know, what happened to Daniel and them. But the fact that they were honored to still serve God there. And, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, they escaped in some ways, but they... They wanted to be with the people, and they're willing to go back some of those folks later. Mm -hmm. Yes, go ahead. I think these comments, this is six or seven of them, might be from somebody we know. Go ahead. <laughs> I couldn't get to you. <laughs> uh, yes, but we are made in his image. To what degree in detail, we don't know. Yet we have an interestingly hysterical record of a what God does when he's really mad. What interesting do what's interesting to do to contrast the anger mindset of the God of the Old Testament versus the forgiving nature of the God Christ of the New. The Old Testament God is incredibly punitive 
and retributive, I can't say it, in punishing actions, whereas the God Christ of the New Testament is almost the exact opposite, save events of the temple. This is a concept I've never really understood. Interesting contrast. Yet God sheltered Rahab from the calamity of Jericho. If God is not in destruction, this is from somebody else now. Now, why was he destructive in the flood in Sodom and Gomorrah? This is the answer. Surgical removal of an, of an infection disease concept. I don't know. Trust me, there's a lot of questions along this line that look, I look forward to getting answers to. And a smiley face. Okay, thank you. Uh, Wendell? When they were carried off to captive, even those who were righteous, mm -hmm. they were protected. If you go to Revelation, the, a, a text that's often quoted in this class, Revelation um, 12, 11, and it talks about the saints, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. Mm -hmm. There'll be people at the end of this world who'll be put to death, mm -hmm. who'll be God's chosen, and yet they will still be protected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that was, uh, that's well said. That was uh, my objection to how this was stated in the lesson. It sort of ties in. I remember reading something recently, a great controversy talking about, I think it was the Huguenots and some of those that were being uh, killed. Mm -hmm. And it was just so impressive because like these young ladies would go and they would be buried alive. They'd go like in a wedding garment. They would go in like you know in their an honor that they were going to actually go to sleep. So yeah, they were put to death, but they would say, you know, I'm just being put to sleep. But you know, the way they witnessed, they were willing to somehow it was going to convert somebody there, mm -hmm. and or someone's going to hear the story and they were going to be converted, even though the story that person wasn't converted. You know, so they felt so honored that they somehow could defeat Satan, even with these you know, very dastardly and ugly events. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in Zephaniah 2, uh, he addresses um, this command to seek the Lord to the humble of the land. Why would he do that? Wasn't humility practically the first characteristic that Christ uh, demonstrated when he was here? What would you say humble, um, or uh, technically the Hebrew means meek here, but what would you say that means? Not thinking too highly of yourself. Okay. Knowing where you stand really with God and relationship with him and with others. Okay. I heard a really great description of meekness. It was sort of out of the New Testament, you know, and the meek shall inherit the earth and the meek word actually means like a war horse. And a while back, it means what again? War horse. A war horse. And a while back, there was a Civil War reenactment, and it was just very impressive to see these horses heading towards cannon shot, and you know, they're not knowing these aren't real bullets, and uh, and all the gunfire. And while this was all going on over his reenactment of Chickamauga, a deer flushed out, and it was just weird to this deer because there's thousands of people out here in guns, and these deer were trying to find some place away from all these hunters. But it was just so trusting to see how a war horse, though it does things that seem very illogical because it trusts the rider. Mm 
he'll do whatever the writer wants to do, even though it's very illogical. And that's that's the the meat shall inherit the earth because we're willing to do let God do anything with us. You know, it, it doesn't make sense. But he wants to do it. I'll do it. Okay, right. Russ. With the correct understanding of the word, that humble means godlike, meek means godlike, mm-hmm. because God Himself came to Earth and, and allowed His uh, His created it allowed His creation to murder Him mm-hmm. without without raising a hand, without um, without accessing the divine power that He had in order to stop it. Right. How does it get more humble than that? It doesn't. Um, I found this um, passage from God's Amazing Grace, page 109. The soul that loves God rises above the fog of doubt. He gains a bright, broad, deep living experience and becomes meek and Christ-like. His soul is committed to God, hid with Christ in God. He will be able to stand the test of neglect, of abuse, and contempt because his Savior has suffered all this. He will not become fretful and discouraged when difficulties press him, because Jesus did not fail or become discouraged. Every true Christian will be strong, not in the strength and merit of his good works, but in the righteousness of Christ, which through faith is imputed unto him. It is a great thing to be meek and lowly in heart, to be pure and undefiled, as was the Prince of Heaven when he walked among men. Um, I thought that was a a very good definition. Um, Would you say that Daniel and his friends exhibited that characteristic? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's easy to mistake humble a humble person for a weak person and say, oh, the humble, you just let people run all over you and you're nothing. Mm-hmm. These humble Daniel and, and his three friends were not meek. I mean, in that respect of being weak, that's the way we would think of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a strength and purpose. Yeah. Uh, yes, in the back. If we study the character of God and Christ, that's going to help us a lot. Yeah. I'm concentrating now in the, because we're supposed to reflect his character anyway. We are Christians, you know. So it's very good um, to study more. And Jesus came and, and washed the disciples' feet, you know, just look at that. Mm-hmm. You know? And he said, when you do a feast in your house, celebrate, invite the widows. We do that. That's what, we, that's what God is going to teach us uh, how to serve others. Mm-hmm. Is how much enjoy you of your life when you do that. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yes. Isn't meekness in the eye of the beholder? By that I mean there are people who look at God and call him all but meek. Uh, there are others, uh, and, and Jesus Christ the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others who look at those two and apply all the qualities of meekness and humility. Same thing with Luther. Same thing with uh, a lot of the people who, you know, who's to say that they were or weren't? You know, and I guess that's why I say it's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. The person themselves probably doesn't even think about themselves mm-hmm. in that term. They probably just go ahead and do what their conviction is to do. Right. And we sit on the outside looking, and we say, oh, they're not meek, or, you know. Right. But with the possible exception of Moses, who acknowledged that he was the most meek. Exactly. Um. But even in that situation, this, this own brother and sister, the older siblings in the family, got in trouble. 
for getting upset with him <laughs> in spite of all his meekness. Yeah. So they did not recognize the value there. Yeah, apparently not. Yes. Um, uh, let's uh, move ahead really quickly to uh, Wednesday's lesson. Um, the verse at the top, um, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Um, how does Zephaniah describe those over whom God is singing? And I didn't read the passage, but it is in that area. And specifically verse 13. No one will make them afraid. And what's the other characteristic there? Speak no lies. They speak no lies. Do no, do no wrong. Um, would you say these would be people who sound like Christ? Definitely. So, why is God singing? Aren't you happy when someone's healthy? Yeah. Isn't a physician the happiest when his patients are the healthiest. Exactly. He's happy because they're healed. Um, they have been restored. Um, so with this... Right? We, we think of sin as just we did bad things. You know? but mm-hmm. Bad things mean that we are destroying ourselves and other people. It's nice to know there will be a time when people will not do any destructive things. It is nice. Um, do you think that is a description of people only after Christ returns? No. It should be a description of us now. Right. Um, with this thought in mind, I mean, what is God's ultimate goal? Peace. Peace. Yeah. That everyone should be saved. That everyone should be saved. Um, so... I'm sorry. Cancer cell. (laughs) If the universe were a body, we're the cancer cell of it. And this way of living needs to be excised from the universe because it's dangerous and ultimately destructive tumor cell. It will happen, but you you can't help but identify with King David when he hears about his son Absalom who was taken out by his nephew. I mean, that's his uncle, I guess, uh, from Joab, anyhow. You know, he longed for his son, who, who had you know, risen up to try to kill his own father. But you know, the father he saw him as a little boy, saw who he could have been. Mm-hmm. And you know, God's going to have to. Yeah, he'll get rid of sin, but he'll he'll never get rid of the pain. Okay. Um, what is our role um, in in God's plan? To keep remembering him and what he has in store for those that are his. Okay, so. The same as Israel's goal to be the salt of the earth. Okay. Yeah. To accelerate his return. Yeah. How do we do that? Living like he wants us to live. Okay. Rid of our idols, etc. Okay. Uh, was there a hand? Oh, there are two. Okay. 
I just think we need to sit back and know that he's taking great delight in us and let him quiet us with his love and rejoice over us with his singing because that's what changes us. That's what make, will make us the meek and the humble. That's what will make us like him. And ultimately, he wants to take care of all these icky problems. But ultimately, just like every mother, even though her child has grown, would love to just have them back in her lap again, you know, and rock them and tell them everything is okay. God wants to do that for, for each of us and say, now everything is okay. Okay. You say how we can do that, how hesitation they can come in is by becoming disciples. God wants, Jesus and God want disciples. He don't want just members, you know, to... To pay tithe is good, to pay tithe and do things, you know, but we need to get on the, in the Spanish country we say, you need to get your hands in the, when you fix bread, you know, you mix the, just get your hands in there, you know, and I'll tell you, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. How would you say we're doing in that role? Sorry, go ahead. May I just read from my own patients, chapter three? Yes. Uh, starting with verse 24 of Lamentations chapter 3 the Lord is my portion saith my soul therefore will I hope in him the Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord okay thank you Um, I once heard someone say that the attitude of a lot of Christians is to sit on their hands and say, well, I'm holy and I'm just going to wait. Is that what God wants? No. What does he want? I think one of the most important things about this class that I've been attending for a few years now is that most of us have been Christians most of our life, and we never really fully understood God. And so getting people to know the character of God, Mm -hmm. you know, a loving God, it's not easy sometimes to worship the God that I was raised under. And so to move into the next dimension where we really see what God truly is, I think is our mission, and I think it's what God's called us to do. I don't think behavior is such a big deal, but I just think that, you know, I think that's where we all head when we have a God that we fear. Mm-hmm. Is it, boy, if I can just be good, then other people will see how good I am and bring me to Jesus. And, you know, I think it's more important that we express the character of God in what we do. You know, and mm-hmm. that comes naturally when you're close to Jesus. Okay. Well said. Yeah. Thank you, Mrs. White. Um, you said something really interesting about our the lack of compassion we have towards each other or, or the desire to help each other. She said, if you're, she presented a scenario where a child had wandered from the house and was uh, freezing in the snow, lost. And imagine the parents' anger when they found out that you just walked by their child and let them freeze there rather than do anything to bring them into warmth, to, to save them from dying in the cold. It presents a really nice picture, I think, mm-hmm. of our lack of compassion. We're doing great, but good luck to you, you know. Yeah. I hope you find your own way somehow. You know, the Bible says, rescue the perishing. Mm-hmm. Go staggering towards death. Yeah, yeah. so it's love in action. Yeah, um, Christ-likeness in our characters. Um, and uh, with that, we have to close. Um, our time is up, so let's bow our heads. Father, I want to thank you so much for the revelation of your character, for the reminder that you want to replace that character or put that character in us. I ask that you would open our eyes to the world around us, 
that you would help us, in fact, to speed your coming by spreading this message that you are that you are love and that you love all of those that we come in contact with. And we thank you, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.